0: Wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson.
1: Welcome to Bleeding Daylight. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Find the links at bleedingdaylight.net. Thanks to those who have left reviews on their favourite podcast apps. It helps others discover Bleeding Daylight and it's a huge encouragement. In a moment. I'll introduce you to a guest who has found the secret to being grateful even in the most difficult life circumstances. It might be easy to talk about being grateful when life goes smoothly, but how do you develop an attitude of gratefulness when you've faced serious illness, an abusive partner, depression, and the day-to-day struggles of life. That's just what Amanda Schaefer has done. She's an author, speaker, publisher, and podcast host. And I'm so pleased that she's joining us today on Bleeding Daylight. Amanda, thank you so much for your time.
0: I'm so happy to be here, Rodney. Thank you for having me. It's an honor.
1: Your life is marked by gratefulness, but help me understand some of the things that you've had to press through to get there. I know that you were in your second marriage when you started noticing that things were anything but okay.
0: Yes, it's not the first traumatic experience that I had. I did have some childhood trauma, but that is the time when I had received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, perhaps a month later. My husband started showing the signs of being bipolar and began to self-medicate and became an alcoholic, began to be emotionally abusive, narcissistically abusive. I was so grateful that I had received Jesus right before this. So I had somewhere to go. And I found myself realizing that the grace that I had received from Christ for all the things that I had done that my only proper response really was gratitude. And so in the midst of the, one of the darkest times of my life, I had someone to go to and I could look around at the things that God had created and the good things that were still in my life. And I could focus on those and kind of come up and out of the heaviness and the darkness of that time.
1: Help me understand what was going on there with your husband at the time. Were there issues that just suddenly started to arise that you hadn't noticed before? Or was this a complete change in personality for him?
0: Yeah, it was a real change in personality. He did have people in his family who had had issue with addiction. Uh, He did drink, but nothing outlandish. I really wasn't someone that drank at all. As I said, I I accepted Jesus and we were already married, and suddenly everything changed. I I really went from not even caring about God to getting up at five o'clock in the morning and praying out loud and digging into my Bible and, and all these things that I'm sure are really difficult for him to understand. And at the same time, he started showing signs of mental illness. And I think instead of going somewhere and addressing it, All of the change and all of the uncertainty led him to self-medicate. And once he did that, it was like night and day. It was horrible. It was just horrible. I had little children. I was trying to be both parents. I was trying to work, take care of our home. And I was basically numb, I think, at that time.
1: It must have been an enormous burden to carry when you're in your second marriage and then things start to go so horribly wrong that this man that you had married, suddenly something is going on with him that has changed him completely. What was your initial response? I know that you turn to gratitude and to, to gratefulness, but what was the initial response deep inside?
0: Oh my goodness, fear. My whole life is falling apart. You know, what am I going to do? And also, I think there was just an immediate heaviness that I felt that this was way bigger than anything that I could do something about on my own. I tried, but I knew somewhere deep inside that this was bigger than something that I could handle. And I knew that my ex husband, well, he's now my ex husband, would have to make choices on his own. And so I was trying to step back enough to not enable him, but also be proactive enough to help him and also had all those responsibilities. So I think I was just overwhelmed at the time.
1: You were trying to help him through this time, trying to get him to get help. Did any of that actually happen or was he refusing all the help that you were trying to offer?
0: In the beginning, I thought he did. We went back and forth and eventually he went inpatient somewhere. It appeared that he was going to work on recovery. I don't know whether anyone listening has dealt with other people in their lives with addiction, but it's typically not something that's one and done. It's a back and forth and a back and forth. And so we did that. We had inpatient coming back, inpatient again, coming back. And finally, at one point, I just didn't see that he was as interested in recovery as I was. Although we had some times that were good, and times where I stopped waiting for the other shoe to drop, I still walked on eggshells, and I still knew somewhere, I think deep in my heart, that he wasn't better.
1: You mentioned that you had recently come to faith in Jesus, and that this was a huge support to you. But did you have other people around you for support? Were there people in the church that you were a part of that were able to support you during this time?
0: You know, that's a good question. And unfortunately, it didn't go the way I had wished it would have gone. I felt very alone at that time, although I did try to talk to people about it. They didn't seem to be able to understand what I was going through, and I think it scared them too. I ended up being very alone. I tried to reach out and share with people in my family. And I think it was too much for them too. I couldn't really go to my children. I did spend most of my time really going to God. I I think it was where the foundation of my strong faith was really forged and formed. Honestly, I would have loved to have had a tangible person that really got it or just sat with me or just listened. That's what I do now for others. Just listen, just let me know that I'm heard. But I didn't have that really. I remember being upset with some friends for not being able to be there, and we talked about it years later, and they said, you know, we wanted to. We just didn't know how, and so I was able to forgive that and move on as well.
1: So being new in your faith, help me understand that. Were you brought up with any kind of faith background and that you had just made a decision to follow Christ, or had you grown up in a household where religion or faith were just not a thing?
0: Oh, I grew up going to church. We went every Sunday. My parents both have a faith. I just never met Jesus. <laughs> you know, I went to church. We went through all the rituals. We wore the fancy clothes. We opened the Bible. We sang the hymns. We came home. We said, wrote prayers for bedtime. We said, wrote prayers for our meal. And I just never saw anyone cracking a Bible or talking to God or anything like that. So I didn't understand growing up that I could have a relationship with God. I didn't feel any kind of connection. As a matter of fact, I actually made fun of people that believed in God. I just thought I was better than anyone that believed in God because how silly, how silly that just following a few rules. I didn't see love in the church. I saw people striving And I didn't see people being really forgiving. Uh, I just saw the rules getting in the way. When I actually came to Christ, I was not at church. I was in my home. It will be 21 years in May when I turn 58. And my daughter was in another room. It turns out she accepted Jesus at the same time we celebrate together every year. It had nothing to do with church. It had everything to do with finally hearing That still small voice of truth interrupt me when I thought what I was doing, I was kind of telling myself what I was doing was okay. And I had this moment when I realized, no, it's not what I was doing, what I was thinking at that moment was wrong. The faith that I had had, the experiences I had had in church, I knew enough about what was right and wrong that it was a good enough foundation. Some seeds had been planted. And I think at that moment, I finally just agreed with God and everything just shifted. And immediately I wanted to know more. I couldn't get enough. Like I said, I was getting up at five in the morning and just praying and talking to God. I got a study Bible right away and just jumped in. So I was all in. I went from a quiet, timid, anxious person to this gregarious, outspoken person who is very much an evangelist and loves Jesus and wants to talk about him all the time.
1: Help us understand that difference between attending church, doing all the right things each weekend, and this relationship that you talk about. I'm sure that there are people listening who have been attending church for years and they feel that's what being a Christian is about. Help me understand what this relationship is about.
0: Sure. The difference for me is when I went to church and didn't know Jesus, it was this place I went and this thing I did. But now Jesus is part of every moment of my life. I start my mornings just sitting in the Word, worshiping, praying, experiencing His presence. And His presence brings with it everything I could possibly need. You know, Peace isn't a situation, it's a person and it's Jesus. And I had this peace, no matter what was going on around me, no matter what my circumstances were, I had this solid peace. And, and it came from that relationship. I journal a lot. So I spent a lot of time trying to understand what the word meant. And I asked a lot of questions and I Currently, I Google a lot of things, and I, I'm very much a, a digger, and I, I really look into every little thing that I feel God is illuminating for me. I look around at the things that are created, and I see truths from the Bible in the way that God has made certain animals and plants, and the way that water flows, and and different things in His creation. It's everywhere in everything. And it's not anything that I could get away from, even if I wanted to. It was as if a light switch was turned on, and I have no idea how or why I would want to turn it off. Everything is different. I I see from a perspective of knowing my identity. I often tell people, there is a, a scripture from Psalm 33, and it says, you're a shield about me and the lifter of my head. And so I was someone that had a lot of shame most of my life. In that scripture, I feel like it's a good expression of what you're asking. When I'm in the midst of my shame and I'm busy looking down, God is interrupting me and saying, wait a minute, okay? I'm going to put my hand out and I'm going to lift your chin so that your gaze meets mine. You're mine. You're mine. There is no shame anymore. You're my daughter and you have access to everything that's mine. So come with me. And that's the way life is now. Every moment is kind of Jesus coming alongside of me and saying, hey, come with me. Or God reminding me, I love you. And moments where I may be being hard on myself. Or God convicting me and and showing me something I really need to look at. Something I've had blinders on to. But when I'm really sitting with him and I'm open and I'm asking, I can hear places that I need to work on in my life.
1: With that as background, you have this new relationship with Jesus, and yet you're in this very troubled marriage. What was the comfort that God gave you at that time?
0: The comfort was, number one, that I was loved unconditionally, completely, that I was going to be okay, even when the circumstances Looked like a giant storm that was total chaos that I could trust because I had hope, because I believed in the character of God. I believed that He cared about me, and I believed that He was big enough to work somehow good out of what I was going through. And so I held on as tightly as I could, and I trusted in that every single day. And I reminded myself through the scriptures and through journaling time. And through worship of his goodness. Worshiping for me was my immediate go-to when I was really struggling because when I did that, I wasn't thinking anymore as I would sing the words to the worship songs and those words would be aff- affirmations of who God was. It was like a double-edged sword. It would kind of cut cut up straight to him and and kind of cut the enemy down at the same time and I felt this connection with God. So immediately and he was. He was this this shield about me. He was my strong tower, and he was kind of in front of me, behind me, and all around me, keeping me safe in every situation. It was the hope. It was the hope that made everything different.
1: This relationship that you're in obviously continues along a similar path with your ex-husband continuing to self-medicate and not really seeking the help that is required. It must have been difficult to go through that. But at one point, you decided, I really need to step away from this relationship. Things aren't going to improve. But how bad did things get in the lead up to that point?
0: They got pretty bad. Uh, There were times where, honestly, I couldn't even believe that that was a person, let alone someone that I had loved. Some of the, the things that he was willing to do because it meant that he could escape reality blew my mind. I had lost all respect. I was at a point where I know the kids were ready and I was ready to be without that. But I also felt that God hadn't released me yet. When I heard that he did, I heard it clearly. And I immediately that same day he was supposed to be in recovery, and I came across him drinking. And I gave him the opportunity to take him one more place. We got him there and got him secured. And then the entire family came back together to let him know, "Hey, I'd like the keys, and you no, know, we need you to go work on your recovery on your own. You're not welcome to come back to the home." That is where we really disengaged. It has been. About two and a half years since I have even heard from him. At one point, we tried to stay in touch and we tried to start with letters and things that were able to keep really good boundaries. Over time, I think that he was not able to stay sober.
1: As difficult as that relationship was, I know that parting actually brings a sense of grief, even though you knew it was the right direction to take there's still a a grief that comes from losing that relationship. How did your faith help you cope with that?
0: Oh, absolutely. There definitely was grief. There was grief for all the things that I thought were going to happen, all the moments you think of when you first get married. You imagine having grandchildren. You imagine retiring. You imagine being with someone. So I did have to grieve all of those things. I also had to grieve the person That I originally fell in love with, I had to struggle with praying for him and having an issue with his actions, but knowing that God loved him too. So um, God did a lot of heart work on me during that as well. I think that is how I mostly worked through the grief was God reminding me of all the different gifts um, and good things that He had given to him for him to use in life, whether he was or not, and all of the good things that he had done, despite the situation he was in. And I think that that allowed me to grow past the grief and into a place where I was able to forgive and to not villainize the person, but villainize the sin. It took a while, but it was a very difficult process. But God was with me every step of the way. I can't tell you how many times he would either send a person to say just the right thing, be there for me, or I would read the right scripture, or watch the right show, or whatever the thing was that he used. Once I finally got on the other side of it, I was able to to have uh, compassion.
1: I know that this relationship played a big part in your life. There was also childhood traumas that you mentioned, but there's also been health issues that you've faced. Talk me through what has happened there.
0: Yeah, um, so I have been diagnosed with three autoimmune diseases. It started with Graves' disease, which is a thyroid disease, fibromyalgia, and chronic fatigue syndrome. And All three of those brought weight gain, loss of ability to do so many things, tons of fatigue, pain, uh, brain fog, just really making life difficult. It was really a blow. It's very difficult to get through that time. I had to have a lot of doctors see me to get diagnosed and I do remember finally at one point I wasn't able to do much and I felt so cut off from everyone with the brain fog. My son was fairly young and I remember the best way I can describe it is it felt like if you were to look through a video camera while you were sitting in a room with someone instead of just talk to them. We got done talking and I remember going in the bathroom and crying because I felt so disconnected and I didn't feel like I would ever feel normal again. Over time, I ate healthy and I drank a lot of water and spent a lot more time in prayer and things that a lot of people do. But I did it in a direction of God. He called it digging a well. And so for 90 days, I dug a well. I did all of these things things to an extreme compared to the way that I had. And I currently I do more than I ever <laughs> did when I was younger. I care for my elderly parents 24 hours a day. I run a weekly podcast. I take care of my son. I take care of their property. I run a business. I write books. I, you know, so I'm doing a lot. So I currently have absolutely no symptoms anymore of any of my autoimmune diseases and I would just give God total credit for that.
1: There are a couple of ways we can go when we experience all these difficulties, especially people of faith. And there would be one group of people who would say, this must be God's fault, that God should not be making these things happen. I'm doing the right thing. I'm in relationship with him. And yet you've chosen to go a different path. Tell me how you make the decision to say, no, this is not a thing that God is sending to me. This is something that God is going through with me.
0: I think had I not had the deep faith that I got during the trauma with my ex-husband, I might have gone the other way. But I learned during that time that God was for me, God was with me, and that God was faithful. There are miracles. There are ways that he provided for me that were just completely could only be attributed to God's timing. There were just so many affirmations that allowed me to trust God above and beyond what was going on around me. And so I wasn't going to let my health be any different. It wasn't that I didn't have issues and it wasn't that it wasn't difficult, but I trusted that even if I had these things for the rest of my life, that I was going to have the most life that I could because I knew I was here for a reason and I knew that I wasn't alone. I have always been someone, although I've had my moments of being more quiet and more numb during some of these traumatic times. But I've always been someone who is just in love with storytelling, who is gregarious and who is outgoing and appreciates art and nature. I wasn't going to let that part of me slip away. And I fought and God stood with me. I tell this story sometimes uh, when I'm interviewing people on my podcast, and I don't know if you know this or not, but this is what it reminds me of. So I believe that our personal relationship with Jesus is just so intricately personal. And one day I was looking at the scripture that says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as I had said earlier, I'm kind of a digger. So I wanted to know, why would you use a yoke as an example? And I looked back and in the times of the Bible, when they had two oxen and they would yoke them together, if they ended up pairing them with another oxen or one of them passed away or got ill, they couldn't use the yoke anymore. Each individual yoke was made only for that pair. And it was destroyed afterwards because it could never be used again. And so Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and I have this perfect yoke, and I'll walk with you, and I'm going to make everything lighter and easier. It's made perfectly for just you and me to walk together, and that is the kind of experience that I have with Christ.
1: You've been through so much, and we've only just touched on a few of those things, but amidst it all, we just keep coming back to this sense of of gratefulness, of gratitude, what is it that keeps driving you back to that? And how do you actually be grateful during difficult times? Because many people listening, I'm sure, have been through difficult things and maybe not to the same extent that you have, but they find it difficult to be grateful in amongst that time.
0: Oh, no, absolutely. Well, as I said before, I believe that gratitude is my only proper response to grace. So I'll start there. I would say that the way that you learn to practice gratitude, and it's a discipline. It is a choice. It is a practice. You can choose something else is to do it. And the more you do it, the easier it is. My daughter is a psychotherapist, and your brain actually creates a neural network. So the more you do something, it kind of creates a road, and it makes it easier for you to continue to do that thing. And then... You become expectant for that thing. So whether you're looking for good things or bad things, whichever you choose, that's going to be what becomes your pattern. Some of the ways that I do it when (laughs) it's difficult. Uh, One of the things I noticed is first thing in the morning, right? Everybody, when you first wake up, whether you say it out loud or just think it in your head, most of the time when we wake up, we're complaining it's cold outside, it's dark, I don't want to walk the dog, I have to go to work today. They're just thoughts because you're in bed, you're asleep, you're comfortable. And I started noticing that I do that. And Maybe not everyone does it, but I sure know, I'll admit, I do it. So I started noticing that I did that. And I made a decision that when I would open my eyes before I even sat up, before I would even put my feet on the ground, that I would stop. And I would think of things that I am grateful for. God, I'm so grateful that I know you. I'm grateful for this bed, for my home, for my family, for the heat being on in the winter, whatever the case may be. Simple things. And by the time that I would sit up and go get my coffee, which of course made me even more grateful, uh, I, I was able to start seeing good things. I had already established how my day was going to go. So I think practicing purposefully is very important. Another thing that you can do is you can look around and you can find two or three things that you can see that are good. Listen for a few things that are good. Smell aromas around you that are good. Use your senses and tie yourself to the goodness of your reality. And I think sometimes that really helps take you out of the feelings uh, when you're going through something difficult. Journaling. Journaling is wonderful. If you write down good things that are happening, you can go back at a time where it, maybe it's difficult, maybe you don't see a good thing, and you can remember, God did these good things for me, or these good things are in my life. And so it helps you move forward and see new good things. There are a few of the things that I do to help practice gratitude, but I think we have to remember, it really is a discipline. It's something you're going to have to choose. And even in the Bible, it says you can choose a blessing or a curse. And I think we do that every day.
1: And you didn't want to keep that sense of gratitude just to yourself. You have your podcast, A Cup of Gratitude. Tell me what drove you to start creating a podcast about gratitude.
0: Funny enough, another difficult situation. I had written two books and I started speaking and I thought that I was really on track with What I was supposed to be doing. My parents are now 91 and 88 years old, and they lived in a 1600s old farmhouse that they had built an addition on because they didn't want to move when they got older. We had always loosely said that I, and if any of my kids were still living with me, would come and stay there and help them so that they could do that. They seemed pretty good at the time, but I kept feeling a sense when I would pray that God wanted us to start getting ready to move over there. So I asked my son, who's still living with me, and he prayed, and he also heard that. And then we asked my parents. None of us really understood, but we said, okay, we all hear God. We'll we'll begin, right? So beginning meant clearing out all of the clutter from them being married for 68 years and Clearing space off the top floor of the main part of the house that we'd be able to move into and make apartments It meant starting to take apart my home that I owned for 20 some years. And there was a lot to do. So we were taking our time. And then my dad had several little falls and he didn't get hurt, but we ramped up moving in. And right after we moved in, the world shut down (laughs) from the pandemic. So God had moved us there purposefully, he had called me into a season of caring for my parents. And because of the pandemic, that meant we didn't have vaccines yet. We didn't have any way to really keep them safe other than being super careful. So that meant canceling my book signings, canceling speaking events, and being very cut off, not going to church, not seeing a lot of people. So for me, connection is my love language. And as I said, I'm pretty gregarious. That was horrible. It was so difficult to be so shut off. And I remember crying out one day and just saying, God, I, I, I feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sharing the gospel. I feel cut off and disconnected. And I felt that God said, Amanda, there are a lot of ways to tell a story. And the next thing I knew, I was buying a microphone and converting an old closet into a podcast booth. And that's how it began. I didn't even know anything about podcasting. I had never even really listened to a podcast before I started. And it is currently, I've been doing it about a year now, and it's currently global. It's in 60 countries and over 800 cities all over the world from a little closet in an old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere Uh, as I'm taking care of my parents and still trying to share the gospel. So I wanted to use the lens of gratitude because I felt like during the time of the pandemic, people needed to be able to look around and see that God is good and there are still good things. uh, Even when life is difficult. And so that's how I began.
1: And that podcast has given you the opportunity to share that gratitude, to share that gratefulness with a lot of guests. Tell me about some of the people that you've been able to share that podcast platform with.
0: Oh, my goodness. So many gems. I have linked arms with and met so many amazing people through doing this, yourself included. I count it such a blessing to have made all of these friends with people who are following their own calling. Some of the people have been people that don't even have social media. They have been people that I found out their story and they didn't have a platform. And so I love sharing those instances because they wouldn't have any other way to share. And other people are fairly famous. And I've been able to share their life in a way that shows the threat of Jesus That shows God all the way through from childhood all the way out to what they're doing now and helps people to understand that they didn't become well-known instantly but that it was a process and that God walked with them every step of the way. Some people have been through horrific disorders or mental illnesses and they've been able to still find the good things and so It's such a myriad and it's such a tapestry of different stories. There is no way I could talk about them all, but there's some of the people that come to mind.
1: Amanda, if people are wanting to get hold of your books, to connect with you, to listen to the podcast, what's the easiest place for people to find you?
0: The easiest place would actually be my Instagram because I have a link tree there that takes you to everything everything from the podcast to the publishing company and the books and any events or any places where I'm a guest. And that is a cup of underscore gratitude.
1: I will have links to your Instagram and to other sites in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can find you easily. But I want to thank you for being so open and sharing some of your story and sharing with us that gratitude is not just a feeling, but it's a discipline that we can attend to. And it's going to change our lives. And I want to thank you for being on Bleeding Daylight today.
0: Thank you so much, Rodney. And thank you for your platform and giving people a place to also express the goodness there can be in the midst of darkness and difficulty. I think it's really important at this time in history for people to be having platforms that are positive. And so I appreciate all that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.